0: Everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of Authors on a Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters today I have the pleasure of chatting with author Nicholas Eames. Nicholas was born to parents of infinite patience and unstanding support in Wingham, Ontario. Though he attended college for theater arts, he gave up acting to pursue the infinitely more attainable profession of quote-unquote epic fantasy novelist. Kings of the Wild, released in 2017, is his debut novel, which he followed up with the sequel Bloody Rose in 2018. Nicholas loves black coffee, neat whiskey, the month of October, and video games, and he currently lives in Ontario, Canada, and is very probably writing at this moment, granted he's actually on a podcast at this time. Uh, but without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Nicholas Eames. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on. So it is Eames, right? I, I watched a video with uh, with you and Daniel Green the other day, and it was, it was like a whole debate between Eames and Ames. And... <laughs> oh, it is Eames. It is Eames. I got you. So, uh, you, yep. had a, you had a pretty good day today.
1: Yeah, so far so good. Yeah, it's, good. it's gone by the blink blink of an eye, as many days have in the last uh, month or so.
0: Yeah, I, I I can imagine. I can imagine. You get you getting a lot of writing done. Uh, a little bit of writing done. Yeah,
1: yeah. Lots of reading, um, and then yeah. Sometimes you just blink, you just blink your eye, and there it goes. I'm trying to get some exercise uh, during all this, so. Uh, my girlfriend and I have been going for runs and things like that. And
0: yeah, oh, you're better than me on that, man. I haven't gone for one it's, run. <laughs> my my uh, wife and I try to try to go for like one or two walks a day, and sometimes we'll take a dog or two. And but you know, typically, like I said, they're going all right. If I can set aside 11, I can eat lunch in like 20 minutes. We'll go take a 20 minute walk, and I got to get back to it.
1: Yeah. Whereas I'd be, I'd probably be less vigilant about it if it weren't for her. But uh, but at the same time you know, when you're just, you Peter out, you're done, you're sick of reading or sick of trying to write. And uh, you're just like, Oh, what can I do? Then a run's a good way to break that up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like, uh, I, I need to actually like make myself run. Like I haven't really ran since like high school when I played soccer. I usually yeah. just, uh, you know, fast walk or, you know, mosey <laughs> down, <laughs> down the road. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, um, <laughs> It's kind of kind of to get us started in this in this whole podcast. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Tell me about you know growing up in Canada. Uh, I mean, not that it's different than growing up in America, but uh, just you know, kind of kind of your childhood and kind of how you got to where you are now.
1: Uh, yeah, um, well, I grew up in a in a pretty rural Ontario for most for the most part of my life. Small towns. Um, started reading when I was quite young. Uh, Lord of the Rings was my first. I think my first book I've read by myself and then also obviously my introduction to fantasy. Um, I I was probably too young to start at the time. I kind of skipped all the, skipped all the poems and all the songs and all that journeying through wilderness scenes. But, uh, but yeah. And then, yeah, I went to high school. I, during all my childhood, I thought I wanted to be an animator my whole life. I drew and drew and drew. And I used to have a job doing uh, signs for local businesses and, I started just to not like it because everyone wanted me to draw stuff for them all the time. So, uh, I ended up applying to school for animation and also for theater. And I gotten for both. And then just at the last minute, I crushed my art teachers, uh, ho- hopes and dreams and chose theater, <laughs> uh, instead. Um, and yeah, I did that for a couple of years and, uh, I had been writing in high school a little bit and then, uh, Met what a really good friend in uh, in that theater class. Me and him like wrote together for the next couple years, and then yeah, I just kept kind of kept at it. And then around the time I was 25, I just got back from traveling and thought, well, I'm gonna. I'd read a very particular Guy Gabriel K book that inspired me, and I said I'm just gonna try my hand at this writing thing. So for the next 15 years, almost, I worked in restaurants and wrote books, and finally got one published.
0: I gotcha. So, so what was the, uh, what was the ultimate, um, I guess decision maker in, in between art and theater?
2: Ooh, God,
1: I don't know. I think (laughs) I probably just watched too many Tom Cruise movies and thought I was that fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
1: I don't know. I really liked theater. I liked, I liked doing it in, uh, in high school. I went to like a pretty big theater high school, um, so much so that they only put on a big musical every two years. They think about almost $20,000 into it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we would go and see the musical like in Toronto or a bigger city, uh, that we put on and we were always disappointed because we were like, wow, this sucks compared to ours. (laughs) Um, so yeah, theater was kind of a big part of my high school. So I think it just kind of got into me. And I think by then maybe I'd just gotten a little sick of drawings because I'd done it my whole life. And, uh, I kind of lucked out though, because I mean, I I could have probably transferred into, you know, what animation became computer animation, things like that. But I was just like a cell, you know, drawing like Disney kind of stuff, uh, which shortly after that just went right out of style. Like obviously it's still around, but, uh, all the Disney jobs turned into, you know, computer animation jobs instead. Right. Yeah. So I lucked out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, with your with your you know I guess multitude of years in restaurants and so forth. I mean, are there any other jobs or or is there a job you can think back of that was like maybe the oddest thing you've ever done? Maybe it was even a short term job. Yeah, not uh, I haven't
1: had too many odd jobs. Like um, I worked in restaurants. I worked in a bookstore. Um, the maybe the weirdest, if you would call it a job, was when we my brother and I went traveling um, for room and board uh, for. a week in Holland we like went up to this old attic of a store that imported Moroccan goods and sold them in in Appledorn and we would just all these like I don't know what they were like lampshades or something like that were just covered in bat feces I want to say and we would just sort of dust them off it was like dusting we just kind of dust them off and we spent a week doing that Um, but it was safe we'd spend the nights drinking Heineken on the street so well worth it.
0: (laughs) That's, yeah, uh, I would have to say it's a pretty interesting little, little <laughs> Nothing deal. Nothing too weird, just sweeping out bat dung. Right, exactly. <laughs> <The> rocking <Moroccan> lampshades,
1: <laughs> pretty far for the course.
0: Right, right. Um, so, kind of, uh, kind of getting in into writing. So, how um, I guess, kind of first off, so how long did it take you to write Kings of the Wild?
1: Uh, it took me just a little over a year, I would say.
0: Okay. Now, now is that just writing it or is that is figuring out what you wanted to write, trying to put everything together and then writing it?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, Kings of the Wild was honestly a bit of a bolt of lightning. I'd been writing uh, this other book that will never see the light of day for about 15 years before that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had the idea for Kings of the Wild, like the kind of mercenaries, rock bands kind of scenario and wrote the first three chapters and like I liked it. I was like, oh, this is this is cool. I like this Clay Cooper guy. And those three chapters are remain unchanged right to this day. Um but then I'm like, but this is not as important as my other book. So I put it away for a year and went back and worked on worked on the old one. And then finally when I was sending that away to get rejected uh, many more times, I uh went back to work on Kings of the Wild. And um at that time I just kind of like, blew through it. And honestly just every chapter just kind of came to me out of nowhere. Um when I got to the end of one chapter, I would be like, what's the, you know, what's everyone thinks going to happen next. And I would just try to do the opposite of that uh, just to kind of keep it exciting. And then, yeah, it took me about a year or so to get from beginning to end, but at that end was only 120,000 words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up cutting about 20,000 of those out for my agent. And then I ended up adding 50,000 for orbit. And they picked it up. So it took me a little (laughs) bit longer than a year in the end.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Um, so kind of throughout that process and then on to Bloody Rose and now, uh, you know, onto the third book and into the future, uh, where do you typically find yourself writing? Do you write a lot at home? These days? Yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: usually I do. Usually I do. Um, when I, I wrote, uh King's of the Wild. I lived in Vancouver at the time. So yeah, I would write at home a lot of the time late into the night. Um and then usually at coffee shops during the day. Um and then when I moved to Kingston, Ontario, where I live now, it's pretty much the same. I usually write at home, but uh but I if I'm stuck or if I'm just feeling optimistic, I'll get out in the mornings and uh, and go somewhere and, and work. I gotcha.
0: Do you have do you have like a specific place that you like to go like coffee shop or, or are you are you like, you know uh cameron miles uh yeah or miles cameron you know where he, where he goes like this one place and gets like a different pastry every day
1: <laughs> i'm a bit of a transient that way i've definitely tried
0: there's places uh
1: there's a place near me that's not dissimilar to that it's not as good but uh i've been to his place and i've sat with him and sat across him and tried to match his word count and failed miserably <laughs> but uh but yeah, no, he's got a really, really cool place there. He lives in Toronto, so it's it's there's a little bit more to choose from. Right. Um, not to disparage the wonderful coffee shops of Kingston, but uh, but that one's really cool, and the the pastries are amazing, and they kind of know him there, and he's upstairs, surrounded by a lot of other kind of creative people working that space too. So, um, yeah, I, there's a couple really nice places around here, but I just kind of mix it up.
0: I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, I just I know, you know, he he had his like specific process down where he would, you know, go to a specific time in the morning, sit down with his coffee and pastry, write for so many hours, and they would just like randomly bring him more pastries. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know yeah. how I got to this point. And it's it's just it's so crazy. Just You know, when you get into a rhythm, you're just constantly doing it. And I was I always find it interesting to to hear how you know authors differ because some you know, a majority of authors. I mean, I'm sure your stuff included. Is it's it's different every day, mm. um, and you know, your word count's probably different every day. Granted, his probably is too. But I feel like you know, his his is like set on a daily uh, a daily thing, whereas like it could change at the turn of a you know a coin for for anybody else. Oh Espe- yeah, especially if you don't much have like that. Concept. what he's
1: going to get, like or at least like a minimum word count every day, right? Um, whereas I have no clue. I'm just like fishing in the river and hoping I find gold. Whereas he's just got an oil well, he's pumping it up nonstop. Um, yeah, no, he's got it good, he was definitely, definitely inspiration for, for a new author like me to see, watch someone, uh, work so professionally at writing. Cause obviously for a lot of writers, they've got families, they've got kids, um, other jobs. So they have to work where they find time. A lot of them, I hear about these writers working on the train, you know, which is, or, you know, like I'm the boss and it just blows my mind. Um, I'm pretty like in, in awe and admiration of them, but, uh, but yeah, no, I'm lucky to be able to, to work from home or work from a coffee shop.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's like a, you know, I was talking to, to Jonathan Wood and he, you know, writes on the train and then, in and out of New yeah. York and then like, uh, Brian Naslin who I had on, uh, He'll just take a bus to anywhere to write. Cause he like he just feels so comfortable writing in that setting. And so he was like, I'll just get on a bus, it doesn't even matter where it goes. <laughs> but that's Wait, like how he writes I writes on the it. Bus. What's that?
1: Is he writes on the bus? Yeah. Oh.
0: Yeah, no, he, he just he no, just gets on the bus, doesn't care where it goes, and will just write on the on the journey there. And then when he gets there, he goes, oh, Okay, well I guess it's time to go back home.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. So I'm oh, like I I have to I mean I I can't say I know how how I would do it because you know I I've tried sitting in my office and writing and it, I get too distracted by things so I was like I, I'd yeah. probably have to go out somewhere and leave my phone at home and 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 get stuff done because I'd be like all right here's you know a thousand words oh, what's what's on Twitter and then I'll just go into that for like an hour
1: <laughs> oh exactly yeah um, yeah no home can be full of distractions and oddly enough sometimes being out of your home. Uh, despite the fact that there technically are more distractions, uh, it's easier to focus. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> I, I, I guess yeah. it's just because you know you you kind of get away from. I guess depending on where you go, you kind of get away from people, and uh, yeah. you know, nature nature can sometimes be a big inspiration, especially if you're kind of starting something out, and it can kind of you can kind of build your world around it, and then you yeah. just have to figure out your characters, which I'm I'm, I'm assuming. You know, Jonathan and Brian get their characters from the people that find on the bus and the trains.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, that's why Jonathan's books are so full of uh, miscreants and ne'er-do-wells. He must ride a real shady bus.
0: Right. <laughs> um, so tell me, tell me a little bit about your writing process. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's changed from day one to now, and I'm sure it's changed multiple times in between that. But are you – do you consider yourself an architect or a gardener?
1: Oh, I am 100 percent the uh, – is the gardener like the the panther? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I am. I I mean with Kings of the Wild especially, uh I had no clue where it was going. Um I knew obviously the very, very end of the book because they say where they're going in the very first or second chapter kind of thing. Um but I wanted to obviously because obviously the reader knows that too, I wanted to make the journey there as uh, you know as surprising as possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and then with Bloody Rose, I didn't really know at all. I had, like, kind of a vague idea and just kind of pants my way through that one. And, I mean, I thought I was almost done the book when I was only halfway through the book. And then this big ending kind of unfolded. Um, and with the third book, it's a bit different because I know it is kind of the end of the arc. Uh, even though it's not a continuation of the story, per se, um, I do know the things that have to be wrapped up kind of thing in it. So it has a bit more of a solid ending than the other books. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as to what's going to happen, it's,
0: it's pretty all up in the air. I gotcha. I mean, is, yeah. is that, is that just, you know, trial and error where you tried to write an outline and get everything tip top and then in succession and it's just like, didn't work for you? Or have you always just been kind of a flop of the secret pants writer?
1: No, that's a good, great question, actually, because I used to be, when I was younger, I would do the, the my map up first, right, and make my map up, and then I would have all the names of the lands, and I would write, you know, the history of these lands and the cultures and all this kind of stuff, and and world build and world build and world build, and then do that thing that so many new writers try to do is put that world building right into the story, like, you know, chapter one, you wait till you hear how cool this world is. Um, <laughs> And so it was kind of like that's what my old book was. It was just, it was just that. And so when I started writing Kings of the Wild, the whole point of it was just to just to go in the face of everything I had been doing before and do the exact opposite. So I didn't, I mean, I didn't have a map until right before that book came out. I almost refused to draw one just because I didn't want to pin places down. Um, yeah, I just so I just kind of winged it. Like I didn't come up with any sort of history until I wrote it on the page. I didn't come up with any characters until I wrote them um so it's kind of like that obviously in the editing process i got the chance to add a bit more lore and flesh things out um which is great because that those things end up informing the other two books but at the time my goal was just to fly by to the seat of my parents because i'd never done it before yeah uh, and, uh, and yeah i think it went well
0: yeah I was say I, I think it turned out pretty pretty good <laughs> thanks <laughs> i mean just just from you know its initial release until you know up to now i mean it's mm-hmm. done pretty well i, I think uh, i think i think it worked out it, going against it has, everything yeah. that you did growing up <laughs> yeah no, i've um, been
1: extremely fortunate that way for sure
0: for sure for sure um so you mentioned um guy gabriel k uh kind of a little bit earlier i mean I know he you know he influenced uh, you to, to start writing. Uh but would you say he's your main influence? Did you have a multitude of influences? Or was it just like I read this book and I was like boom, writer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I mean that was exactly the case of what happened. Um obviously I had a lot of influences like um obviously Lord of the Rings and things like that and the Narnia books when I was younger, uh comic books, video games, uh and then authors like scott lynch and joe bacrombie who started to kind of infuse comedy into the into the story into stories that were otherwise pretty dark um it's kind of what made me think okay i can maybe write a story that's takes that comedy a bit further and tries a bit harder mm-hmm. um and, but guy Gabriel k was definitely the person who made me want to become a writer he was probably the reason why i wrote that shitty book for so long because i was trying to emulate him and i'm not as <laughs> not as good with words as he is but uh yeah, I, I I definitely tried to do that, and it was his book uh, Lord of Emperors, which is the second part of the Sarentine Mosaic. It's a two-part series, um, and it kind of takes place in the Byzantine Empire, and it's um, all about artists, whether they're uh, mosaicists or painters or dancers or chefs, um, and it's about leaving a legacy behind. And so it was it was that book in particular, and like even a page of that book in particular that made me think, okay, I want to not only write a book that has affected me emotion or affects somebody emotionally, the way this book has affected me emotionally. Cause it really, really did. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to, what am I going to leave behind? Um, and what, you know, can I, can I show for myself? So that was kind of the, that was kind of the impetus to to get, get serious about writing.
0: I gotcha. So, so as, as a, as a reader who has not read any K, mm mm-hmm. What is the one book you would recommend by him that I need to read?
1: Uh there's a there's a lot of good like inroads because he writes just a lot of single volume books mm-hmm. um with that arc series kind of thing so it just kind of depends on the setting you're looking for. He's got a book called Tigana, which was the first uh single volume book he wrote after his initial trilogy. His initial trilogy is very 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 much a Lord of the Rings like homage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and so then Tigana was his first um like you know, story in one book, and it's got a bit of magic in it. The setting is kind of Italian Renaissance, um, and then after that, his books become—they're not historical fiction. They're definitely still fantasy, but whatever. There's no like uh, crazy magic or sorcerers in them. The the magic that exists is whatever magic the people in that culture would have believed existed at the time. So, if he writes a book about you know, Norse mythology, then, then yeah, they'll believe and there'll be ravens and there'll be kind of that kind of stuff. But, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't go out of his way to put kind of magic in. So Tigana is a great one. The lines of al rasan is a, an insanely beautiful book. Uh, it's about the Moorish Spain and kind of the Christian Muslim, um, Jewish, uh, religions kind of trying to find peace and warring upon each other, um, in kind of medieval Spain. Uh, and then he's got a book called Under Heaven, which is the first of two books he wrote about the Tang Dynasty, China. Um, and it's just a it's a heart wrenching book as well. And it's a book just I wouldn't you'd never as a fantasy writer in a million years come up with the idea. It's just a guy who inherits a thousand horses. But and the book is about his journey from the where a place where he inherits them to the imperial capital. But uh, but these horses are worth, you know, you know, one horse, there's a quote in the book that says one horse is you're a rich man, 10 horses, and you're like the wealthiest person in the whole city, 100 horses, and you're like a, an emperor, and he inherits 1,000. So he becomes pretty much the most in, most influential person in the world. So yeah, it's pretty, uh, all his books are just absolutely heart-wrenchingly beautiful. Hmm, okay. Uh, those three, I think, Lines of Our Sand, Tigana, and Under, Under Heaven are three great entrance ways into his work.
0: Okay. Okay. So yeah, I, I guess he's one of those authors that it doesn't really matter what path you take, you know, just take one and if it, you know, if it works, go on to the next thing kind of thing. It's not, you have to read this one first and then move on.
1: No, you definitely don't. There's definitely lots of ways you can get into it. Some of them are a bit, uh, I mean, his style is obviously very, really beautiful and he puts a lot of care into every sentence and uh, word even, but uh, some of them are a bit slow burn, more slow or slow burn than others. So mm-hmm. I only speak from someone who's tried to get so many people to read them and I've had um, better success with certain ones. So some of them can be a bit slower to start and people tend to, uh, you know, bounce off them sometimes.
0: I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, we're, we're in the, the day and age where it's everything has to happen right now. So <laughs> people, yeah. people aren't, yeah. aren't so much for the, uh, for the, for the slow burn reads anymore. It's like something's going to grab me in the first 25, 50 pages or, I'm going to the next exactly.
1: Thing. Yeah, yeah, and some and some writers uh, kind of just it, it helps if you read them when you're older. Oddly enough, I mean, I did bounce off him once when I was younger. Like I went back, thankfully, about a year later. But uh, at the time, I was just obsessed with books about dark elves and magic swords and things like that. And his book didn't have any of that. It had doctors and physicians <laughs> and you know, sculptors, and I was like, "This is yawn fest." Uh, <laughs> You know, so I think a younger person can sometimes bounce off them. Of, um, not by no means always, but uh, I think you get older, you appreciate certain authors' uh, style more. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess it you know really depends on your taste and kind of what what you're in the mood for at that time. Uh, kind of like yeah. you said, you know, it was like as you as you get older, your tastes differ, and you know, you may want more of an epic, slow burn world build. And yeah. it just has a really great story. Other than it's hack and slash, and there's blood everywhere, and <laughs> and, and, exactly. and you know, really really fun quips and stuff. So yeah, if you try to read Guy Gabriel real and you bounce
1: off. Just come back when you're not so stupid. <laughs> that's, that's my that's my advice. That's what that's what worked for me. <laughs> I was just too dumb. To yeah, get.
0: listen, here, a younger self. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I gotcha. Alright, so, uh, so Kings of the Wild was actually my first ever read from Orbit, and I'm pretty sure it was the first ever physical book I ever requested from them when I started reviewing, and that was back when I was on Book BookNest. Um, so what u- ultimately hooked me uh, was the snapshot synopsis they gave, which was a retired group of legendary mercenaries get the band back together for one last impossible mission. So I've got a two-part question for you. Uh, Why do you think you were the first author to stumble upon the mashup of fantasy and rock, and why does it work so freaking well? Oof. Well,
1: (laughs) I think it works so well because it's been the other way around so often. So many songs uh, are inspired by fantasy books, especially when you look at, like, 70s rock and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And obviously 80s, like, a lot of the 80s metal covers will, you know, have – very similar covers to 80s fantasy books at the time. Um, but there's a lot of Led Zeppelin songs. I mean, there's Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin songs that literally, you know, talk about Lord of the Rings and Mordor and Gollum and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's Rush songs that, you know, have incredible amounts of fantasy and magic swords and, and crazy mystical fountains and towers and things like that in them. And then there's bands like Hawkwind, who you're familiar with Michael Moorcock, like wrote Elric yeah. books. I mean, Hawkwind and Michael Moorcock are the same thing in two different forms. One of them's book form, one of them's music form, but they, I had no clue who Hawkwind was before I started writing this book. I actually didn't even know who they were until very close to the end. Um, but their music is so much inspired by those Michael Moorcock books um, to the, right to the point where it's like a little bit fantasy and also sci-fi. And they, they talk about you know haunted mountains and magic swords and sonic attacks in space and just they go all over the place. So uh, music did it first, but uh, yeah, I I when I came up with the idea, I thought it's one of those things when you think, oh, mercenaries is rock bands. Let's get the band back together. You you feel like you should have a joint in your hand and laugh <laughs> and then forget all about it. Um, but I was like, oh man, I, this, that's a pretty cool idea. I wonder if someone's done it before, and I looked it up and. it it couldn't find it. And so I'm just like, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. So I did. And honestly, like, obviously I think the idea is half the battle with that because I mean, we're in the midst of trying to like, you know, we've sold the the film rights, film, television rights to the series. And we're trying to, you know, we're going to be soon uh, pitching it to networks and things like that. Um, and yeah, the story, hopefully, you know, the characters capture people's imagination and things like that, and they care about them. But even just the idea of mercenaries as rock bands, like, I just feel extremely lucky that I thought of it, extremely lucky no one had did it first, and really glad that my attempt to pull it off seems to have worked, so.
0: Man, I mean, like, just, like, I'm sitting here thinking about like you know, I read this book three years ago, and I just vividly remember so much about it. And it just makes me just think of, you know, all these concert venues and all this stuff and you've, you know, kind of transposed instead of a, you know, a a rock concert. It's just like a battle arena. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, I know when I was trying to get it published, there was editors and agents along the way that didn't just didn't get it. They wanted it changed into like, you know, Abercrombie 2.0 or it would have been Abercrombie light really. Um, because they just—they're like you know—the band reference is funny once, uh, you know. It's but then it just gets old, and I'm like, it's not like a it's not a shtick. That's the whole point of the world, like, is that? And I think that it actually, you know, it sounds kind of funny, but I think it works really well because when you think about a world inhabited by monsters that's unsafe and everyone's you know being attacked all the time, you know, why wouldn't the people that killed them, uh, if you got together with your friends, get? really famous and be treated like rock stars and be paid a lot and you know if they weren't so good with organizing that stuff why wouldn't they get a manager to do that for them and uh and as that evolves into the the way the world evolves is why you know once they've kind of pushed back pushed back the wild and uh and things are you know dangers a bit more harder to come by why wouldn't they just build these arenas and why go camp in the woods when you can just stay in luxury you know apartments and then go fight your monsters and then drink all night. So, I think the evolution of like the road, the traveling band uh up to the you know arena band uh I think it works pretty well and I think it makes for a pretty vibrant um, ultimately believable fantasy world that functions fairly well, I I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know I, and I think, you know, just based on kind of like the the genres of music you did with the first two books and I'm sure you'll continue on with the third book, you know, I'm sure like if you had Uh, you know a bunch of readers from like that generation that grew up kind of as roadies and went to go see bands live Uh, you know they kind of they kind of like almost relive those moments throughout the Mm -hmm. book in in a way because you know they're, they're seeing this band that's going on one last tour and they're you know say they're touring America and you're like oh my gosh I've got to go see them one last time you know <laughs> exactly. and, it's, and it's just it's it's almost like a nostalgic kind of thing that I, I don't know if that you necessarily meant it that way but it, it kind of comes off that way I guess for certain people that read it.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, and there is definitely a kind of reader that, that reads it and gets, you know, all those references and doesn't like it because it takes them out of the book too much. Ah. Um, but there's obviously, there, you know, there's lots of, I get messages from people in bands all the time that, you know, I adore it because, you know, it captures the camaraderie of that for them. Um, and the fact that, you know, for a lot of these bands, when you think about, you know, the Rolling Stones or, you genesis you know it's like they see each other again after a long time and it's they spent so much time together that uh it's like your family you know you you might come to despise them but you'll always love them
0: yeah yeah absolutely um and you know it's funny i remember i i can't remember if it was with the uh with the early arcs of kings of the wild i know they did it with with bloody rose but uh didn't they do like like concert tickets, like as like bookmarks or
1: something in, in the first Kings of the wild arcs. Yeah, that was, a, no, no, it was a bloody Rose with Kings. Of the Wild. I think it was, it just kind of came out. It was a bit under the radar. Okay. Uh, I think maybe even orbit itself were like, well, let's see how this works out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then obviously by the time bloody Rose had come out, Kings of the wild had made pretty good splash. So, um, yeah, they, man, they did some really creative stuff. The concert tickets are incredible. Um, cause they, they're for Bloody Rose and her band okay. playing that's at,
2: right. okay, I right. forget
1: what it is, the Megathon, but they got like the seat numbers, the row numbers. And on the back, it's a list of the tour of all the different cities they go to and the, and the names of the arenas. That's right. Uh, so that's super right. cool. And they did a shirt. They did, uh, they put out, send out audio book codes in cassette tapes. Yes. Um, yeah, it was just
0: awesome. Yeah. See so that, that's why I remember the cassette tape. Cause I actually, I actually got one of those and it's up on my bookshelf with my, with nice. my copies of Kings and Bloody Rose. But uh, yeah, I I uh, I wasn't uh, I guess good enough status with Orbit at that point to get the get the early copy with the concert ticket. But I, I remember seeing oh, yeah, some people bad. on Instagram that had posted about it. That was that was just a really neat idea to to really uh, you know publicize it and and try to get into you know more pre orders and stuff. And because people were like, oh, that that's coming out. Oh, that's so neat, you know. Yeah, it could have been that the concert tickets might have been a UK thing, so that could have, uh, been, could have been. Yeah, I know. I know, yeah. uh, I know uh, the UK does a lot more kind of like a little not not to say like tchotchke things, but uh, I know they they give like little extras for for some books. I know I think like tour US does that a little bit with some of their books. Um, I think like the. I think like Gideon the ninth and hair of the ninth and doing like little uh, enamel pins and stuff with it. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. But I know like a lot of the U S publishers, uh, they don't typically do like the little pieces with it, but yeah, I'll see like Nils or, or, uh, or Patrick or T S Chan over, uh, you know, overseas getting like the little, little extras with their books. And it's just so neat to, to see that.
1: Yeah. I think, I think sometimes if they really have a good feeling about a debut, maybe they'll go out of their way to to do that kind of stuff. But um, so often they just, maybe they can't afford, I mean, it's not, not the good old days, but, uh, <laughs> they can't afford to, to put, maybe put that much money into everyone. So right. you do, I think tend to get it, uh, maybe the second time around if, if they think it's going to help hype the book.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and like I said, I, I those, those are like the the main ones that kind of stick my mind because i just thought that was that was just so cool kind of seeing that going around and i was like oh man so I'm like i'm wondering you know if they end up doing anything for the third book like what they would do <laughs> yeah i wonder i mean i very much see them doing cassette tapes again just because it's
1: you know it's going to be 90s themed so yeah uh i don't see I mean, my god if i go back and do a special edition uh kings of the wild with like records wouldn't that be awesome <laughs>
0: right yeah you get, oh your, get your own vinyl. vinyl records that'd be the <laughs> best thing ever but to say i know uh i let say i think the only the only kind of uh i guess not really a promotion that i've seen done with that but uh joe hill did a vinyl um record for i think one of his short stories that he put in was it in full throttle i think uh it was like Oh gosh, it's like Night of the Circus or something like that, or Circus of the Dead, yeah. maybe. Um, but yeah, he like he just like released a vinyl like album with like that one book on it as kind of like a giant audiobook. That's pretty neat. Now, granted, I I can only imagine this super expensive to do, but it'll be, oh, it'll be pretty be, sweet. Either. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So, on top of all the music references, because there's tons from what I remember reading and from, you know, just looking at Reddit (laughs) very briefly, uh, you also hit a lot of uh, like pop culture Easter eggs within the first, you know, within the pages of the first two novels. What were some of your favorites that you added then?
1: Um, Obviously, any Final Fantasy ones are kind of favorites of mine. Um, In Bloody Rose, there's a a giant. God, I can't remember what the creature's called now, but it's a, essentially like a walking tortoise. Uh, and when they first see it, it's got a knife in his hand and then he puts it down and picks up a lamp. Um, and it's very much an homage to like the Tonberries in Final Fantasy. I'm not sure if you ever played a Final Fantasy, but yeah. every single one of them has an enver- en- enemy that's called the Tonberry that walks really slow. And then once it gets up to you, does a, a move called everyone's grudge. and just stabs you for a shit ton of damage. Um, and so there is an upright turtle that carries both a knife and a lamp. Walks really slow, and his name is Grudge. So <laughs> I'm not too much more. It's pretty on the nose, but uh, you know, I tried to you know couch it in the story that it doesn't seem like a very very obvious kind of an homage. Yeah. Um, and then there's some more subtle ones. There's a really 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 subtle. Uh, um, God, what's the movie with John Cusack where he holds the any no say anything. Um, there's a very famous scene where he holds the holds the ghetto bastard above his head out in the yard but uh, there's a, a Bloody Rose a reference to Bloody Rose in that where he gets broken up with and his girlfriend gives him a pen so there's a breakup in Bloody Rose where someone gives the other person a knife uh, and the language is kind of similar, similar I gotcha yeah few people get that one, but not too too many
0: <laughs> yeah, you know like i mean did you did you do like a lot of um like research into into putting those Easter eggs in, or is it just you know kind of from your you know years of watching movies and reading books and kind of being within pop culture that it just they just kind of came to you,
1: yeah, with the pop culture ones, it is just like ones that are already in my head like there's a dumb and dumber reference where someone's like, you've had two pairs of gloves this whole time like Uh, but it's I use it with cloaks but I mean I say that almost every other day so (laughs) it just it's just in my head if someone ever has two of anything I say it so um the music references were a bit different because going into writing Kings of Wild I hadn't read or listened to a lot of uh, 70s rock um so I listened to it for pretty much straight for two years so a lot of those references and I read read books about it listened to autobiographies about it and uh, watch documentaries on it. So those references that whether, you know, it's a town named after a lead singer of a band or weapons named after guitars. Um, those are ones that I had to research and probably forget sometimes shortly after I put them in.
0: <laughs> but I say, cause I know you also um, created like a couple of Spotify playlists based on the books that you just, yeah. you kind of went, you know, we're like, all right. Here's all the songs. I mean, it's they're like pretty extensive playlists too, if I if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Kings of the Wild one on my website. There's actually like a chapter by chapter playlist. It says like what song goes with what chapter because with that book, so many of the chapters are exactly set to a song. Um, so much so that one of them, like, uh, there's a scene with a dragon in it. And I remember I. I would taken a stab at writing this scene about three times and it was talking sometimes and it wasn't talking. And I was like, I just don't know what to do with this scene. And then I was walking to work and listened to uh, ZZ tops, LaGrange. And by the time I got to work, I had the whole scene plotted out. You could read that scene and put that song on and it would co- like last exactly as long as the song pretty much.
0: That is, that is awesome. I, I'll have to go back and reread it and like go through the playlist. I think, I think it'd be really cool um
1: i I think it can really really help like it's crazy to say but i mean people are just so attached to music and music can be so beautiful even if you don't uh, have any connection to the song to start with Mm -hmm. um but even for instance uh the rolling stones have that song wild horses you know couldn't drag me away and it's it's like a beautiful sad touching moving song and when you listen to it and it's paired up with chapter three of kings of the wild like i think it I think it makes the book a lot more poignant does definitely does me a lot of favors. I think for someone to to listen to the soundtrack.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, I'll, I'll have to go, i have to go bookmark that when I, when I decide <laughs> yeah. to get back to it. Cause that, I think that'd be really cool. Just like experience. Cause I don't feel like there's, I mean, there's, I guess there's no books that you could do that with other than yours. I mean, unless, unless there's one that I don't know about that I, I need to be aware of, but I, I just think that'd be, that'd be really cool. Cause I mean, you, you know, you think about reading a book while listening to the audiobook or something, but you don't really think about reading a book along to a soundtrack that exactly you know, yeah. kind of matches it. So, um, all right. So, uh, so Kings of the wild won the, the David Gilmore morning star award for best fantasy debut and what? also won, just kidding, <laughs> and also <laughs> won the, uh, the Reddit fantasy award for best debut novel. So did you ever think about just being a one hit wonder? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God. Did I ever, <laughs> Um, yeah, it was a, it was a cause of great stress while writing bloody Rose. Um, and granted, I, I never took it for granted. I always thought to myself, made sure to remind myself, um, that it'd be much harder if my first book had just tanked and I was trying to redeem a career with my second book. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in a much better position when you're just trying to, you know, reproduce something. Um, but at the same time, I also knew I mean, because I was writing about totally different characters and a totally different era of music, um, I, I talked with, with it about my editor, about it with my editor and we both knew that there'd be a people that read and loved Kings of the Wild that wouldn't like Bloody Rose because there's a lot of dudes that like it because, you know, women too, but because they were in a band, because they, you know, are big bearded dudes, just like the Kings of the Wild guys. And they kind of relate to those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go on to a second book where the main character is a young teenage lesbian, and they're like, "Hold up, these characters are difficult to relate to." And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but easier to relate to for someone that's not you, right? Um, and more difficult for me to write for sure. Um, they were much, it was a much more challenging book, uh, and also the characters, like Kings of the Wild. You know, it's supposed to capture that kind of '70s, '60s, '70s folk aspect where you know, people were probably a bit more happy go lucky. Yeah, they were wild. And yeah, they were getting crazy. But uh, once you got into the 80s, like if you toured with Axl Rose, and Guns and Roses, you'd fucking hate them. You know, like <laughs> they would be just bastards. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's that I, ha- I had to I wanted to be true to that. You know, so Rose isn't everyone's favorite human being. But uh but she couldn't be and not if I was one of trying to represent that, that era of music uh, as well as I could. So uh, it was definitely challenging to write that second book. Like, you know, I, I didn't want to disappoint people. Just dis- didn't want to point, disappoint my family, my editors, um, myself most importantly. Um, and yeah, I, but, but I knew it was going to be a very different book that would appeal, um, just to a lot of the same people, but to a, hopefully a new audience.
0: Yeah. I gotcha. So, yeah. uh, because I'm a huge fan of his and I know a lot of people are a big fan of his, what was it like seeing Richard Anderson's cover for, for the first time?
1: Oh my God. It was the greatest thing on earth. <laughs> um, like Richard Anderson, I was a huge fan of his before that. Um, I bought books um, that he did the cover of without realizing that he was the cover artist. I just loved the cover art. So I, um, I got home one night, this is maybe about, this actually, funnily enough, the day before I found out I was getting published, like my agent called me, um, I had bought um, Mirror Empire by Cameron Hurley and um, Emperor's Blades by Brian Stavely, mm-hmm, both of which are Richard Anderson covers, and I had taken a picture and put them on my Instagram and was like, holy crap. And then meanwhile, I was playing Guild Wars 2, which he's the, one of the main uh, concept artist for all the characters look kind of just like his art um and so i was just playing the shit out of that and i was like I, am just, I was just immersed in it and so i think that my editor when we were going back and forth on the title of the book for a long time and i think she knew that i was going to lose that war and so she kind of asked the the people who in charge of the covers at orbit if they could do me a favor and go and get richard anderson because i also was I'm very, 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 very picky about fantasy covers. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so many things I don't like about them. And as someone who's like spent their whole life trying to get non-fantasy readers to love the same books that I love, um, if you're trying to sell someone on a book and it's just got like a screaming wizard, you know, grappling with a goblin on the cover (laughs) – it has shot itself in the foot already, you know. <laughs> yes, you're going to get those fantasy readers, but you're never going to get non-fantasy readers. So, right. um, although Kings of the Wild is still a fantasy cover, um, I think um, Richard was kind of they was asked to make it look, you know, like one of those old album covers where the group's just standing around looking at you. Um, and yeah, when when I was when I got the call saying that he was going to do the cover, I was just beside myself. And when I first saw it, I knew I would love it. But, uh, when I first saw it, I was blown away and the, even more so with bloody rose, which I consider, I honestly do think it's the greatest cover art ever. And I know I'm biased, but I still think that it's true. Um, and then, yeah, the cover art for the third one is just
0: insane as well. Dude, I can wait for the third
1: one. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm and so I, I'm excited. Gonna, I've, I've had it not on my phone for a while, but I'm going to put it back on my phone <laughs> as the background because I know for bloody rose, like I was halfway through that book when that cover art, you know, got, got shown to me and it helped inspire it you. It inspires you because you're like, Holy shit, I got to write a book worthy of this cover. Right. Uh, and the same goes for the third one. Like, you know, that I hadn't even written a word before that cover was done. And I was like, this is amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, yeah. it, and it, it inspired some like really great fan art too, man. I think that's, uh, you know, Felix Ortiz did some early fan work um, yep. you know, based on the books and like he's, He's kind of blowing up now for book covers, especially, you know, like indie covers and stuff. I know he's he just finished up a trilogy for Rob Hayes.
1: Oh yeah. They're great covers too. Yeah. And he did he did Rob Hayes's Never Die before that. And yeah, yeah, he does a lot of them and he he just did some work for Tor. Um, my editor who was editing Kings of the Wild went went to Tor shortly after that. Uh, so she hired him to to work with Brian on Brian Anderson's covers there. Yeah. I I love back covers. <laughs> so me too. I mean, like I said, I am I am really picky of them. I I like when they are you know accessible enough to that you can, you can give them to someone who may not like fantasy and they're they won't just throw it away. Um, but yeah, over the years, my God, I especially as someone, I, sometimes I used to not be as forthcoming about being a nerd. So I'd walk into a coffee shop, and if my cover of the book I was reading was especially dumb, I would always put that cover face down. <laughs> Um, some once I even duct taped the full cover of a book, just because it was so ugly, I didn't want <laughs> – it wasn't even that it was ugly. It was just, it was just so – I just didn't want to – You didn't want people to I know just, that you were reading it. <laughs> it was just too much. It was too much. Yeah, uh, One of them had a face. The face on of the character was so stupid looking that I literally scratched it off.
0: Oh, my gosh. Uh, and yeah,
1: made it look like an accident. It was just –
0: is it, is that just yeah. the artist in you? Is that is that what's what's coming out? Or is, it, is it truly? No, I, think, just I being think it was like,
1: like, like a, the closet nerd. Like uh, if we're working in restaurants, you, you do meet some, you know, some fellow nerds and things like that. But uh, you know, I sometimes I'd have a D anD D group and uh, with a couple guys from work, and then we'd be at work and I'd be sitting there talking to a girl, and they'd come up and be like, "Oh man, Nick, that was crazy. We we're in that dungeon last night." And I was like, "Shut the hell up, Brian. I'm busy here. What is Dungeons and Dragons? What are you even talking about, man?" Um, yeah, I've definitely been guilty of trying to hide my nerddom uh, right. back in the day. So <laughs> some fantasy book covers weren't helping me.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Not. I know I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't play video games. No, I, I don't know no, what you're talking about. I, I'm all about sports and sportsing.
1: <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. Um, so you kind of touched on this a little bit, but, uh, you know, so Kings of the wild had nods to seventies rock while book two, bloody Rose spun more eighties hits. So book three, you said it's going to be in the nineties. So are we going to, we're going to do like grunge or are we going to do like old school hip hop?
1: Exactly. Those two things. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's got a kind of two, I mean, it's a band, but if you had to take its two main characters, one will be representative of old school hip hop and the other of grunge loosely based um but uh essentially at least i listen to those kind of musics to get me in in the in the mood for those characters um but yeah generally it's about the feeling like that anti-establishment vibe that came out in the early 90s late 80s um of hip-hop and grunge and metal and bands like nirvana and rage against the machine and um nwa you know that kind of stuff uh like, and just like with the seventies music, I was a bit more familiar with the eighties music, although I did deep dive it and le- learn about a lot of cool songs I'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was familiar with eighties grunge and kind of the mainstream hip hop, but not a lot of stuff that wasn't mainstream. So in the last year or so I've you know listened to that almost exclusively and, and yeah, my musical tastes are all over the place. Like, <laughs> one moment I want to hear an old school outcast song and then sure hit me with some CCR, you know, or some Bob Dylan. I'm really, really, really all over the place, but yeah, it'll be nineties theme, anti-establishment. Um, you know, it's called outlaw empire. So that's gives you a hint right there that people are going to be upset about something.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Alright, so uh speaking of Outlaw Empire, can you uh, can you give us a little bit of a glimpse into what we can expect in book three?
1: Uh sure, yeah. Um I don't wanna like spoil it with certain characters, although they're actually one of the main characters is uh is like hinted at in the hmm, what's I think it, maybe chapter four or five of Kings of the Wild. It's a very, very subtle reference to them, mm-hmm. but uh but it's in there and hopefully someone will you know read it and go, Oh my God, he thought of this way back then. Cause they're the only thing I did think of back then. Um, but ultimately it, it, uh, it takes place, um, uh, about 16 or 14 years after bloody Rose. Um, so pretty much 20 years after Kings of the wild. Um, and what you're going to get a glimpse of is basically the way the world changes. So, yeah, you're going to see some old characters and, and, you know, what see what's become of them. But ultimately the whole series has ended up becoming very much um, about the society uh, and not only the characters um, as told through the music references of the seventies, eighties and nineties, because the music, you know, the mood, the world changed so much in that time. Um, and it changed because of the music and then the music changed because of it. And so that's what I'm hoping to accomplish with the, the characters you'll get or with the the series you'll get a a world that's vastly different from the way it was in the first book and vastly different from the way it was in the second book um i mean my god i pity someone anyone who i want to do like a role-playing setting based on (laughs) kings of the wild or these books because it'd be a whole different setting for the you know when the when Saga was young and when the world was full of monsters and then a whole different setting in bloody Rose, when the world's not full of monsters and they're all being bred in arenas and then a whole different setting for book, uh, for book three when the world's, you know, maybe full of a different kind of monster as it were.
0: Exactly. So, but, yeah. so is this, is this officially going to be, I guess the end of this series? I mean, did you, did you set out to only write a trilogy or have you thought about maybe even potentially bringing it into the new you know, decade? Oof, well, I'm pretty much out of musical eras, good ones anyway. let is <laughs> uh, not, not to say I
1: don't like, I don't like, I love modern music, but, um, and I've talked with this about a few, with a, about a, this with a few people, but I don't think I'm wrong in saying that like the early 2000s or the 2010s, they're not as, there's not, maybe because of like the internet, you know, but there's just not a music where you can listen to and go, oh, bam, that was a snapshot of that era. Like, you know, it just not like you hear synthesizers and you just go, Oh my God, this is so eighties. Yeah. Um, uh, and or like the rambling 17 minute epics of the 70s or um with the 90s yeah it was like we they are fucking angry at everybody right um, or we don't care about anything um and so once you got to the 90s or the 2000s and stuff like that it was music was all over the place because there's way more artists there's way more platforms there's um everything everyone gets whatever they want so kind of music got a bit disseminated it's there's still amazing amazing bands out there but um it just doesn't have the same feel um that i think the 90s 80s and the 70s all each had their own kind of it was like an era
0: yeah. of music
1: yeah that, no, no, that makes like sense. stops and ends at the at the end of the
0: decade right no that that, that makes absolute sense yeah because you know you can you can really think back as to you know the these were the bands that made those you know decades and then now it's just like well, you had that, you know, them, and you had that band, and that group, and then those people, and these single artists. It's just, there's just, there's so much. Yeah, there's exactly. Nothing that really there's so defines much now it. that
1: it's not, it's not the same.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I, there's, there's definitely an, at least one other story I know I could tell, like that I've kind of got in mind afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what I would do music-wise. Um, it would probably have, you know. Obviously, it would be inspired by music, but it would just be more, But once again, about the world and what needs to, what would become of that world after the events of the third book. Um, and then, obviously, a lot of people would love to see a, a prequel about the early days of Saga and Clay Cooper and as a young man and all that kind of stuff. So um, maybe someday I'd write that. i will probably write something different
0: afterwards, but... Boy, same. if that
1: bombs, I'll just go back to the well. <laughs>
0: <About> <laughs> to say, just do a book about the Roaring Twenties. <laughs>
1: right? Uh, oh, yeah, no, good. God, there's so much more. I mean, obviously, Kings of the Wild is like the end of that era and getting into the 80s. So it would be fun to go write a book that's once again inspired by uh, the early 70s, Led Zeppelin, you know, Bob Dylan, early Rolling Stones, that kind of stuff again. It's you. really new, easy music to write to, and it's very inspiring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I guess on top of book three or, are, uh, are you working on anything currently? Uh, book wise, no,
1: I've been like toying with the idea of trying to do like a graphic novel one of these days. Um, I was approached a long time ago about it and I was like, yeah, as soon as I've done this second book, but now I'm like, as soon as i am done this third book. Um, but yeah, I've got a really, what I think is an awesome idea for it. And I've, I've got it kind of an artist attached. And so I'm secretly working on that, but not like, wholeheartedly at all because you know the book is most important to me Uh, and then i also uh, have a part-time job writing for a video game so that keeps me busy
0: awesome um have you have you i mean i'm sure you have but have you really put a lot of thought into kind of what you want to do next once the band is done um i've had a
1: few different ideas but one of them is really kind of like kind of stuck with me so that's probably You know what? I'll probably like look at first when I'm done writing the band. Yeah, writing the band. I'll explore that idea and see if it's going to work, and see what my agent thinks and what possible editors think, and then, yeah. I mean, I know some authors just are like, "Oh, I've got so many ideas," but I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I got a couple good ones, but I I don't know. I I don't really want to just you know write something if my absolute heart and soul is not in it. So unless the idea. I feel is one that I can infuse myself into, then it's not just a cool idea is not going to work for me. So
0: yeah, I'm assuming you're going to stay in fantasy. Yeah, I think so too. My God, there's definitely a, a
1: neat sci-fi idea. and It's kind of hard to genre jump, but I actually think it's a lot easier now than it used to be because back in the day, if you wrote, sci- wrote sci-fi after writing fantasy, your books would be on totally different shelves. Um, whereas nowadays, you know, seventy percent of books are being consumed on audiobooks or eBooks. So mm-hmm. you're just going to look up that author's name and see all their books right there. So right. it's a lot easier now. So by no means, uh, if that's what I wanted to write, that's what I would probably write. But what I'm probably going to write next is fantasy. Yeah. Okay.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So uh, what have what have you read lately that
1: you'd recommend? <sighs> Oof, so many.
0: I've got. I've been.
1: Audiobooks has really helped me plow through a lot of books. Yeah. Um, and then I've been kind of making time every morning to read a little bit just because I, I mean the year that Kings of the Wild came out, I read five books the whole year. It was pretty awful. Um, but probably my favorite has been Orconomics, and the sequel to Orconomics is what I most recently, uh, read and really, really loved. I mean, there's been tons of them, but Orconomics is one that, uh, it's a self-published book by a guy named Zachary Pike. Um, and it, often I would see it get compared to Kings of the Wild because it's comedic fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it, the audiobook and it is phenomenal. Like absolutely phenomenal. It is different than mine in that it's, it seems it, it feels way more like Terry Pratchett. And I know I'm like no one really likes to get compared to Terry Pratchett because it's like I paint. Oh, cool. Are you as good as Michelangelo? Um, <laughs> But it's more satirical and it takes a more satirical look at society than, than my, my books do. Mm-hmm. Um, in his case, it's like the, the housing market in the second one or marketing or you know, finance and things mm-hmm. like that. But his books are really, really, really funny and they have amazing characters that you really get attached to and some really poignant moments and great character work. So they're not just kind of like a shtick. They are like really, really touching um, and just hilarious books. Um, so, yeah, I recommend definitely both of those. Um, God, what else? I mean, I just finished uh, the audiobook to Master of Sorrows by Justin T. Call, who you had on your show not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just finished that. I really loved it.
0: I said, and I had this narrator, I was- had Peter Kinney on here too. <laughs> oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, he was a great narrator. Great narrator. Yeah. He did the Witcher books.
1: If you haven't, if you haven't listened to those. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Wow. Cool. Yeah. No, he did such a good job. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was a great one. Um, reading wise. And then I just read Alex White's, um, a bad deal for the whole galaxy, which is a sequel to a big ship at the edge of the universe, which is, um, as I described it to my friends, Kings of the wild in space. Like it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, got spaceships and lasers and magic, but ultimately it's about this crew and being tight knit and, and when they're not, uh, you know, bringing down intergalactic evil, they are squabbling and having sex with each other and fighting and having heart to hearts and drinking. And so it's, you know, it's they're not uh, a wholly different vein than my own book, so I really enjoy them.
0: I gotcha. Yeah, I had, yeah. I had the opportunity to uh, to meet Alex because uh, at the at the time he was living in Huntsville, so he was just a couple of hours away from me. And yeah. uh, I went I actually went up and had dinner with him, and then I went to his book signing. Uh, that he had when it first, uh, when the first book came out and, uh, and yeah, he's, he's a, he's a super cool guy and, and writes some phenomenal, uh, space oh, yeah. opera. It, it's so yeah. good.
1: Yeah. I'm
0: um, trying to think what else.
1: I mean, God, I've devoured a lot of audiobooks recently. The audiobook for Cersei Cerse, Cerse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cersei. Yeah. yeah. Cersei. Uh, that was a fantastic one. Um, but yeah, if I was kind of standing in front of my bookshelf, I'd be able to pinpoint it a bit more. Today, I'm a bit torn. I'm reading a um, Murakami book. Have you ever read him? Hura, Haruki Murakami? uh uh-uh. uh Could have his first name wrong. He's a Japanese author, um, and he writes almost, I would call it magic realism. Um, but they all, his books all take place in our world, and they're all beautiful. Like His characters sometimes do the most excruciatingly boring things, but they're really cool books. They're always really surreal, and they make me... My whole mindset shifts when I read them. Um, But I'm also – I've got two books out today that I was about to start. One of them, I'm so torn. Uh, One of them is Robin Hobb's Assassin Apprentice, Mm -hmm. uh, which I've never read any Robin Hobb before, which a lot of people think is – British people anyways think is absolutely scandalous. (laughs) I haven't either. Uh, It's okay.
0: (laughs) What's that? I said I haven't either. It's fine. You
1: and I are in the same boat on that one, <laughs> yeah, I mean that was one of those authors like i I knew you know people liked her, and I knew of her, but then I went to England, and she is like the second coming of Christ over there. She is just huge, <laughs> everyone just worships her, and I was like, "Wow, this is great, and I hear she's her prose is really eloquent, and I really appreciate eloquent prose, so I'm really looking forward to uh to reading her stuff. Any books that can like make you cry um are okay in my books. Um, and then oh, there's a book called, uh, a memory of empire, um, that just got nominated for Hugo for best novel. So I was thinking of reading that one too. So we'll see.
0: That's a, uh, what uh, is it? Arcady Martine?
1: Yeah. Or a memory Arcady called Martine. empire. I
0: think that's what it's called. Yeah. 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 yeah I've, I've had that one on the shelf a little bit. I know one of my co-bloggers just reviewed it and said it was absolutely phenomenal. So I've, I've got to get around to it as well, but it's another one of those, man, the cover just grabbed me. Yeah. It's a very cool. It's very cool. Uh, and I
1: was sent it by my editor at uh, or my old editor at Tor because um I had read The Goblin Emperor. we buddy read it, and then it was, you know, it's all about court politics and things like that. And so mm-hmm. she's like, "Hey, try this one if you like that one because it's it's kind of similar. I got gotcha. you.
0: I got gotcha. you. yeah, yeah I, uh, I'm just, I'm just, I feel like I've been reading the same books the past like, three weeks. I've been trying to like, finish one, and I just can't um like i i I, i'll read like five or six at a time and like randomly i'll be able to finish one like i just finished uh eden by tim webben that just came out yesterday um it's it's a fantastic like kind of like an eco thriller um where you have like these this group of adventurers that are racing across these things called virgin zones and it's basically places where nature is kind of like reclaimed it's you know itself from from man and uh and it just like it kind of starts out. You're like, oh, okay, you know, these people kind of like going across, you know, the forest, and then man, yeah. it, like it just goes off the rails at like forty percent, <laughs> and uh, it, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's I, I'd say it's like for people that like really like like Jeff Vandermeer. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. like you know his like Southern Reefs trilogy. Stuff. What's that?
1: Like surrealistic kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: it's you know it's kind of like all about like you know man versus nature and. um uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it, it's kind of like a little bit of kind of like fear of the unknown when it comes to nature too. Um, yeah. but yeah, like his, like his Southern reach, uh, trilogy, which, you know, like annihilation, which, you know, the movie, uh, and so forth on, uh, what was it on Amazon prime, uh, that came out. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else have I actually finished lately? <laughs> uh, I finished The Loop by Jeremy, uh, not Jeremy Robert Johnson. It comes out in yeah. August uh, from Saga. It's kind of like a, it's like Stranger Things meets Alien. Okay, cool. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's a good one. And yeah, and yeah, that, it's and it's funny because I'm reading another book or listening to another book now, also called The Loop by Ben Oliver that just came out I think yesterday completely yeah. different book and about a completely different thing <laughs> but it's just funny because you've got two books in the same year both called the loop but uh yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a great idea but, yeah, well. Right? <laughs> well what well i guess it helps one's young adult and one's very adult so <laughs> true yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah I mean it's it's hard to recommend books when you're not finishing a whole lot of them Um, Yeah, I mean I've got so many too that I've just kind of stocked up and want to read. Um, Like
1: I've been collecting old Michael Moorcock books for years and I've only read two of them I think. Um, So I kind of almost did myself a favor and lent my – my mom wanted to borrow my uh, Kindle. Mm -hmm. So I lent it away and that changed my life because – when people try to send you books and granted it's an honor to get books people send you obviously, but just for the time being, I would get, I was getting so bogged down that I could never read anything that I had intended to read. It was always something new coming in. So now at least for the next few months, I've got the excuse that my mom's got my Kindle so I can catch up on uh, all the books that have been piling up.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I, I know. I know just how you feel. Cause my, my Kindle, like every time i look at it, I think it like adds another page to like yeah. the amount of ebooks I've got on it because you know like a lot of them are advanced reading copies and then books that came out years ago that go on sale I'll grab it and I'm like oh, I'll read that eventually and you know it, that's that's just a lie I keep telling myself and I think I think everybody tells them stuff that that is like oh I'll get to that it sounds so good and it just yeah, gets buried it, yeah
1: <laughs> like I've had that Alex White book for over a year he sent it to me he signed it and he was at Orbit offices and sent it to me and I was like oh this is great and my friends who I'd convinced to read the series had read that and were like oh you gotta read it and So finally, I was like, okay, I I need to read this. And, you know, I still want to read, I haven't read books two and three of Ed McDonald's uh, Raven's Mark series, uh, which I own, but I can't, you know, I hear that they're fantastic. I just need to make time for them. Or Anna Smith Sparks books, I've got those. She sent it to me, and I, you know, I can't wait to read them. I think I'm going to love them, but. It's got to carve out some time, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah, and, and since yeah. you're into audio, I mean, you you may want to go the route of audio on those. Colin Mace does a great job, and he actually did both of those series. So, yeah. Well, she she did
1: send them to me, so I've got them, but. <laughs> You're right. I mean, he does.
0: He does do a good job. I mean, I'm talking about so, timing like here, simple. man. You can you can yeah. read one series and then listen to the
1: other one, or vice versa. So, <laughs> so the even the audiobook. like I was listening to Master of Sorrows, and I already had um, the Last Smile in Sunder City queued up, which I'm listening to now, uh-huh. um, which is great. Um, didn't you have? Yeah, Luke, Luke Arnold, on your yeah, show? yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great interview, and and uh, I'm really loving that book so far. He narrates it himself, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, up next, I've got Gideon the Ninth, uh, already bought. So
0: yeah, it's good. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed Gideon. It was it was it was a different kind of uh kind of read. Like it's it's like a tale of two halves.
2: Uh, yeah.
0: But um, uh, one of my co-bloggers just finished Harrow and said it was like maybe the best book this year that they've read so far.
2: Ooh, so cool. I'm
0: like, well, now I got to get to it. So I feel like I need to go back to Gideon one more time before I move on to Harrow, but I've got the audio for it as well. Yeah. So, man, dude, I can no, talk about it. Not enough time though.
1: in the day and then, yeah.
0: <laughs> I can I talk books all day. It doesn't mean I'm going to be able to read them. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, guys, uh, you can – Kind of follow Nick uh, you know on pretty much any social media platform. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Nicholas underscore Eames on Instagram at the Book of Eames. You can find him on Facebook, it's Nicholas.eames, and then his website, NicholasEames.com Uh and as for Kings of the Bottom Bloody Rose, they're you know readily available. So definitely go out and and, and grab copies if you haven't read them yet. Uh, I highly, highly recommend checking them out. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll be looking for book three. Do we have a tentative date yet? Uh, no, not at the moment. But uh, <laughs> Once I'm finished it, I'll be
1: crawling from the rooftop. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and in sure, the meantime, I'm if sure anyone we'll wants see to it. listen to those soundtracks, if you're cleaning house or going for a jog, uh, I don't know. Bloody, Bloody Rose is great for housework. Um, it's all a lot of kind of upbeat 80s stuff. Um, and then Kings of the Wild is great for road trips, actually.
0: There you go. Okay. So
1: yeah. And yeah. like I
0: said, I'm I'm gonna have to, to go back through and read them with the with the Spotify uh you know playlist. I just think that's such a cool idea. You yeah, know, because like all a, the time I've I I quite a bit. I mean even the
1: The Last Battle of Bloody
0: Rose is written, yeah,
1: I used to listen to the same, it's a meatloaf song uh on repeat over and over and over, like on the way to work, uh probably ten times and then ten times on the way home. And so that I wrote that scene just to this song. So yeah, dude, that's so awesome. That that's such, yeah. that,
0: that's like such a cool like thing to do and a cool experience to be to have. That's that's really neat that she thought of it that way.
1: Yeah, like oh, that song's called "For Crying Out Loud," and there was a part when the, the my editors were editing the book, they were like, they wanted to switch these two lines around because there's a line where a character says, says something like her heart was crying out loud. Uh, they're like, oh, do, do you want to say this? And I was like, no, no, it needs to be this exactly. Um, so. <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> they put up with me when it comes to you know references
0: right they're like all right Hames, you got it You, you t- t- re- t- re- yeah. T- my wrist. yeah <laughs> oh man well just uh you know I, i've said this on and off air but just thank you so much for uh for taking the time to come and chat and, and talk about one of my favorite series over the past several years and uh one that i know i'm gonna continue talking about for years to come and uh Definitely looking forward to uh, book three when it does come out, especially for that cover art because I know Anderson's <laughs> probably going to kill it again. So he has, he has. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: thank you very much for having me on. I really, really appreciate
0: it. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and yeah, there's a you know obviously every any anything we could do to 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 help support you more, just you know give us a holler and maybe we can do this again uh, once uh once we get a release date for book three. I'd love that. Awesome, man. We'll have a good one. You too. Thanks. For those of you who haven't had the opportunity to check out either books of the band, stay tuned for a clip from the Bloody Rose audiobook presented by Hachette Audio and read for you by Catherine Fenton. I hope you enjoy it.
2: Tam's mother used to say she had a wild heart. It means you're a dreamer, she would told her daughter. A wanderer, like me. It means you ought to be careful, her father had added. A wild heart needs a wise mind to temper it, and a strong arm to keep it safe. Her mother had smiled at that. You're my strong arm, Tuck, and Bran is my wise mind. Branigan? You know I love him, Lil, but your brother would eat yellow snow if you told him it tasted like whiskey. Tam remembered her mother's laughter as a kind of music. Had her father laughed? Probably not. Tuck Hashford had never been much for laughing, not before his wife's wild heart got her killed, and never once after. Girl! Hey, girl! Tam blinked. A merchant with whiskered jowls and a fringe of yellowed hair was sizing her up. Little young for a wrangler, ain't ya? She straightened, as if being taller meant seeming older. So? so he scratched a scab on the bald crown of his head what brings you to the monster market you in a band or something tam wasn't a mercenary she couldn't fight to save her life oh she could fire a bow with passing skill but anyone with two arms and an arrow to spare could do the same and besides tuck hashford Had a hard and fast rule when it came to his only daughter becoming a mercenary and joining a band. No fucking way. Yeah, she lied. I'm in a band. The man cast a suspicious eye at the tall, skinny girl standing weaponless before him. Oh, yeah? What's it called? Rat salad. Rat salad? The man's face lit up like a brothel at dusk. That's a bloody good name for a band. You fightin' in the arena tomorrow? Of course. Another lie. But lies, as her Uncle Bran was fond of saying, were like a cup of cascar whiskey. If you're in for one, you're in for a dozen. I'm here to decide what to fight. A hands-on sort of woman, eh? Most bands send their bookers to handle the finer details. The merchant nodded appreciatively. I like your edge. Well, look no further. I've got a beast on hand that'll wow the crowd and have rat salad on the tongue of every bard between here and the summer souk. The man shuffled over to a cloth-shrouded cage and tore its sheet off with a flourish. Behold, the fearsome cockatrice tam had never seen a cockatrice but she knew enough about them to know that the thing in the cage was not a cockatrice the thing in the cage was a chicken a chicken the merchant looked affronted when tam told him so girl are you blind look at the size of that thing it was a big chicken no doubt its feathers had been daubed in black paint and its beak was smeared with blood to make it look feral But Tam wasn't convinced. A cockatrice can turn flesh into stone with its gaze, she pointed out. The merchant grinned, a hunter whose quarry had charged headlong into the trap. Only when it wants to, lass. Any bee can sting, right? But they only sting when they're angry. A skunk always stinks, but it only sprays when you startle it. Ah, but look at this he reached into the chicken's cage and brandished a crude stone carving that vaguely resembled a squirrel. Tam decided not to point out the price written in chalk on the bottom. It's already claimed one victim today. Beware the... (whark) said the chicken, dismayed by the abduction of its only friend. An awkward silence stretched between Tam and the merchant. I should go, she said. Glyphs' grace to you, he replied curtly, already throwing the sheet back over the chicken's cage.
0: Hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Nicholas Eames. Stay tuned tomorrow when a new episode drops with fantasy author Ryan Van Loan. We talk about his debut from tour called The Scent and the Steel. Hope you guys enjoy it and have been enjoying these episodes I've been releasing. Uh, just continue, like I say, always to stay safe. And thanks again for checking us out.